Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. On today's show, we talk about visual effects and movies with DNEG chairman and CEO Namit Malhotra. DNEG is a high-growth, technology-enabled visual effects and animation company executing groundbreaking, award-winning work for the world's largest content creators. On the show, Namit discusses how he got involved in the movie business, the barriers to entry for blockbuster movies affects companies, how DNEG won seven Oscars for visual effects in movies. DNEG is the only pure play, publicly traded visual effects and animation company, and more. A point of disclosure, the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF does own shares in sports venture acquisition, the SPAC that DNEG is merging with. So with no further ado, here's our podcast on visual effects and movies with DNEG chairman and CEO Namit Malhotra. So I'm excited to speak about visual effects movies, and my favorite movie over the past year was Dune. Spe- spectacular film, especially the stunning visual effects, and Namit, I'm sure we can get into the details on that one specifically. Prior to getting into that, you are a third generation in a filmmaking family. What drew you to the family business, and what caught your interest? So interestingly, you know, while I'm third generation within the industry, it wasn't pretty much a family business because my grandfather was a cinematographer who was, you know, uh, you know he, it wasn't a business that he ran. He used to work as a cinematographer, shot the first color film in India in the 50s. And then my father produced Bollywood films, which he then stopped uh, making in the late 80s. After having made a big blockbuster back in the day, he decided to move away from it. And I kind of grew up in the hope of trying to take after them in wanting to be a film director. So by no means was this a business that was running or any of that. It was you know, sort of just an aspirational connect that we had with the industry. And, uh, you know, much like any, because I was literally 18 when I had that chat with my father about uh, my future and I expressed to him I want to be a film director, he kind of guided me towards saying, you know, the film business has always been a bit volatile and while, you know, the opportunity in the film business will always be evergreen, why don't you build something more substantial, more structured, and then you can always go back to doing it. And that sounded like sensible advice and uh, made sense to me. And I was like, okay, let's do something different. So I set up this little computer graphic shop in a garage with the three guys who taught me computer graphics. And uh, we, I was all of 18, 19, and they were 21. Just came together as a band of four and uh, got started uh, in my father's car garage in Mumbai. And, uh, and and here we are, you know, many years later, uh, still fighting on. That's quite the journey, and I'm sure you're no longer four in a garage in Mumbai, just given the repertoire of movies that you've been involved in. I'd be curious to know, like, how significantly have things changed on the visual effects side since you first entered the business? Like, it, it must be just you know, uh, a massive change. Yeah, I think, you know, it was fair to say that I was inspired like many others in my generation, you know, when we all saw Jurassic Park in 1993. 
you know, was like, wow, how did they even dream of this? Forget about the fact that they pulled it off and it looked fantastic. So that was a massive inspiration to me back in the day. And then you learn more about the te- technology of it and you realize there was not much possible computers back in the day. There was, you know, they had to still rely on physical, uh, you know, capabilities of these, uh, you know, robotic, you know, and prosthetics and a lot of uh, other forms of, uh, you know, visual effects. And using computer graphics was a new thing and the technology was extremely limiting versus where we are today, where, you know, our line to our clients is that if you can dream it, we can do it. Like whatever you can think about now, we can pretty much do. And that is a pretty significant transformation from where I kind of remember the very first phase of how these things were done to where we are at today. And how did you make that transition going from garage-based four-person startup in India to now winning the mandates to produce visual effects for some of the largest blockbuster films in the world? Yeah, you know, you know when you put it like that, it does sound uh, pretty cool. Like, you know, <laughs> Very cool. Uh, to be honest, uh, you know, it's been such an organic process for us. You know, because we, I used to always say this to uh, people all along. I said, you know, we started very early, and hence, you know, we dealt with a lot of problems and a lot of challenges very early. And uh, I think, fortunately, we were able to, you know, sort of accomplish or you know, jump over these obstacles or challenges whether they were financial or technological or geographical, whatever it was, we were able to sort of transcend those challenges pretty effectively. But there were no shortcuts, basically. We were constantly building, and I still feel like we're building 27 years later. You know, it's been uh, one hell of a ride, and, you know, it's been literally starting at the at the ground floor of the building and then building up the best you can be in that, and then going to the next one, the next one. So we did that in television, post-production, we did that in, in commercials, then we provided services for uh, movies, then we launched our visual effects capabilities. So it was a very organic process, as I explained, and uh, it just sort of as the industry grew, as the technology and the adoption of technology grew, we kind of were, uh, I think, either ahead of the curve or just right, right place, right time to really make sure that we made that leap, to keep ourselves relevant and to keep ourselves moving on. And, and that's sort of been the journey that we've been on, and that's why it's a pretty cool thing to be able to see that journey and that transformation, you know, within where we started and what kind of work we did back in the day. And you know, to be honest, yeah, even I'm I'm super excited when we see a, a you know great film come to life. You know, we take tremendous pride, and you know, I'm also equally excited like the audiences are about what is being produced today. It's, pretty spectacular. And speaking of great films, you've picked up a significant number of accolades along the way. I believe at last tally it was seven Oscars that Dineg has won. I was wondering, with respect to these awards, which movies were these for and what specifically uh, allowed or made Dineg the choice to win these awards? So I think the very first Oscar that Dineg won was for Christopher Nolan's Inception. Oh, right. That was um, unreal. You know, which was, uh, again, masterpiece, you know, from the director and obviously the visual effects were so far ahead on its time. It was uh, absolutely, you know, so fresh and so different to what people were generally seeing. And then the second one was again for Christopher Nolan for Interstellar. And uh, and then after that, it was Ex Machina. Then uh, 
came Blade, then I think came Blade Runner, and then First Man, and then uh, and then Dune. Yeah, and I believe I've seen all of those movies, and you know you can't find Sorry, it. Tenet. Tenet, came Tenet right? Yeah, yeah, all blockbusters and uh, exceptionally films with uh, just amazing special effects. Now, with respect to creating these. Like audiences such as myself, we literally have no idea the time and effort and process that goes into it. So could you quickly walk us through, you know, what's the timeline, how many people required, what's the sort of work involved in generating these amazing special effects in these movies? So, you know, we do have in all of the big, uh, in all the names we mentioned, Ex Machina is probably one of the smallest vision effects budget movies we've probably worked on that got us an Oscar as well. And that really speaks to the underlying thesis of what we really, I think at DNEG really have a very strong DNA of, which is we work in service of the story and to the vision of the director. That's at the core of what we do. And that is where I think our success at the Oscars has been much more effective than most of our competitors or other companies out there. Uh, everybody does great work, but you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the fact that our work tends to be so naturally integrated into the structure of how a film is being directed or being shown to the audience where you don't really look at the visual effects separately, you're not just creating wow moments that are that just aren't really woven into the core fabric of the of the vision of the filmmaker or of the story. And that's where all these films that I just mentioned really will have that one sort of common commonality amongst them. Uh, the process certainly involves you know a lot of these very highly accomplished filmmakers who come to us expecting to do something that, you know, typically the brief is this time we want to do something that we haven't seen before. That's always at the heart of what you're trying to do. Otherwise, why bother? You know, a lot of these filmmakers have that natural aspiration and their own interest <clears throat> in really pushing the boundaries of storytelling. <clears throat> so that's always a starting point. And then you get handed down a, a script a treatment or a you know, vision of what the filmmaker has, which we then circulate with the right creative leaders within the company. They then work in collaboration with the filmmakers and other heads of departments, whether it's a cinematographer or a production designer, to really come up with the right methodology or the right technique on how we would achieve what's been put out there. And that then creates you know, a whole sequence of events from planning, the right from designing the, the visual effects all the way to how we plan to work on the filming of those pieces or shoot components that have to be captured uh, on location and then take it all the way to the finish. And then that's something that we do uh, from a, literally from the start to the end. And that's uh, you know the way our engagement really plays out and uh, has proven to be incredibly successful because as a company or as a business, we've actually tried to insist that that be uh, a way in which we like to work. Uh, as a preference relative, relative to a lot of our competitors. And that is where I think we've seen the maximum success. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. 
The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. And so how does monetization work for you as a company? As you mentioned before, the differing levels of budgets for different films. So, you know, X Machina having a lower budget versus um, Dune. Do the content creators pay a licensing fee per project or is it more of a subscription? How, how, how does this monetization aspect work? Yes, I think the monetization works on a, you know, like, frankly, it's a very straightforward contract for this scope that gets defined by us. We get, when I mentioned that we can hand over a script or a vision, we then start to break it down into its logical end outcomes of what we call as shorts or clips that basically make it into the film or episodic TV or whatever it be. And that gets costed based on certain assumptions. So we go to the from the choice of methodology to the assumptions so that it's clear to everyone what it is that we're going to actually do once we've received the brief and then what that costing looks like. And then once that scope is agreed in conjunction with the budget, then we get a contract for it and we get paid based on the milestones of work that gets performed. Now aside, like any services contract. That makes a lot of sense. Now, aside from working on other stories, DNEG's story has a big event happening, which is its merger with the SPAC Sports Ventures acquisition to become a publicly traded company, specifically the only pure play publicly traded visual effects and animation company which I suppose is exciting for investors, but what are, the some, what are some of the reasons why investors should pay attention to DNEG and be excited about the stock? I think you know, the, the fundamental macro environment for what we do has never been better. Like I can say that to you without you know, an iota of doubt that in my 27-year career, which is really at the start of when visual effects and animation started to really take, uh, take off, We've never had this sort of momentum in the industry, whether it's in where I started in India or in America, and that, or the rest of the world for that matter. Because the need for that high quality content has become really the name of the game. And that is, is creating significant tailwinds for us as, a, as an industry, and specifically for us as a company. And that I think with our creative credentials, industry beating, margin profile, a globally diversified talent pool, and a macro environment that is sort of growing at a pretty significant clip, I think should become uh, attractive to any investor that's looking to, you know, sort of play in a new, evolving uh, subsector of the media entertainment space or in the technology space, because we transcend both those pretty effectively. Because at the core of what we do is technology-enabled, but it sort of serves up this massive demand that's playing out in the content space. These macro tailwinds specifically, are these related to more and more blockbuster movies, higher budget theater-type movies? Are they more so related to streaming and a lot of the big, big movies that are going straight to Netflix, Disney, and all these other streaming services? Or is it a combination of both of those? Yeah, see, see, the thing is that, you know, for us, we're in the content business. We don't really care what screen it goes to. All we know is that on the back of whether the big movies do really big business in the cinemas or as a consequence of them doing a lot of business on the cinemas. All these big movies also make their way onto television sets and onto streaming platforms. So ultimately, content is being consumed regardless of what screen you put it on. So as far as we're concerned, we're screen agnostic. It, does, it doesn't really matter to us. What matters is that what they, what the industry and what the audiences have said 
globally is that they want to see content that's a little bit more exciting level with the imagination and the storytelling is much more let's say upper you know above and beyond what you would otherwise get let's say vision hold if you were telling the story of you know that's relevant in a particular country or in a, in a particular culture versus making these spectacles that are actually the ones that travel across the world across billions of people and get consumed across the world and that is where you know our participation plays and that's really what any of the streaming companies or the studios will unanimously agree that that's the most effective or the most successful content and that's where dnx really a tier 1 participant or or partner with these content creators and that's why the opportunity comes from the success that's happening across all these platforms pretty simultaneously one tailwind that i think of you mentioned these platforms specifically the streaming platforms and there's this huge battle for content where you have netflix amazon apple you know a few disney others plus. yeah disney HBO plus Max. yeah they're all literally spending billions of dollars per year producing content which i'm sure is great for dneg now you mentioned tier 1 content producers and certainly dneg has fostered long-term creative relationships with these studios can you describe how important that is and how that can lead to these recurring revenue streams in the future yeah so you know because we go back over two decades of really delivering high quality work to all the big studios to start with have done well with their filmmakers and the franchises that they created that have continued to be very dependable and big box office successes that's obviously sits as a core let's say credibility checkbox that we already have and then this tailwind of streaming that's become much more global and much more specific where you know today because of streaming like movie theater business where you know how many tickets to sold in a particular market streaming no you know can sort of very quickly come back with very accurate data that how many millions of people in the world played the film or tv show and for how what duration did they see the whole thing did they see it once did they see it 10 times there's a lot of you know analytics and a lot of data that's available that gives everybody the confidence to continue to invest in that paradigm the other piece of the puzzle is that because the audiences have basically become global each of these streamers are now not licensing content from each other because that would have been more expensive for them right. so you know if you see if you remember the early days of netflix it had content from all the big studios because that's where you found on the streaming platform everybody's content was available on on the netflix platform today netflix is looking to create more and more of their own content and so is apple or amazon or hbo max or disney and they're all creating their own and taking their underlying ip and really you know making those uh, their you know for their clients and for their ultimate consumers who are consuming that content and the overarching data that i think supports all of this is that there is a lot of demand for it so it doesn't matter how much content is going there anything that's high quality and anything that's of a certain you know sort of a real experiential uh, you know sort of level is being consumed massively like you know there was a data point i just read that uh, on the opening day or on the opening weekend of the batman releasing on hbo max it had as many people streaming it as there were as many people seeing it in theater even though they came at two separate times wow. so there is there is a lot of so that's saying to the content creators that hey there's a marketplace there there's consumers who are technically buying it or they're consuming it so that should only give them more conviction to really create more of those types of projects that ultimately you know the the consumers want to consume 
And anyone with any of the streaming platforms can see that massive deluge of content and a lot of it very, very high end. Now, with respect to DNEG's competitive mode, I assume that high-end visual effects is a very tough business to break into because you need this incredible amount of specialization and resources. So I assume the industry is quite limited in terms of providers and competitors, but could you describe to us quickly how the competitive environment looks and if you feel that DNEG has a moat or competitive advantage within this industry? So there are a couple of components, you know, as I mentioned right at the start, it's a technology and a talent business. So technology is something that has been created over the last two and a half decades of just the company getting from the very early days of computer graphics to being able to create really bespoke and high quality specialization in what we create. And that's not stuff that's available off the shelves. There's a technological limitation that companies, anybody who's in the visual effects world recognizes or acknowledges because they know that they're not going to just get water destruction creatures just coming out of some software at the press of a button. There's a lot of fine tuning and a lot of, you know, a lot of science, a lot of, uh, you know, capability or technology R&D that goes into any of these projects. That's one aspect. The other is how many people actually are qualified and trained enough to be able to use that technology and deliver those experiences. That's again a limitation on high-end experience talent. And the competitive dynamic is that there are lots of companies that have all started very early on that have their own limitations in either the amount of money they could invest in technology or the number of locations they could have in the world to service or use the uh, demand out there. And I think that's where DNEG has really transitioned itself from not just having some of the most sophisticated tools and technology capabilities, but also this globally diversified talent pool that is second to none in whatever market we play, whether it's in the UK, and Canada, and India, and North America overall. I think uh, we've continued to harness and harvest the best talent and, and tools to ensure that we can continue delivering those higher quality experiences. And, and that the more you do better at it, the better you become. And that's sort of what becomes, you know, a big differentiator to, other, to the other companies who are still trying to figure out how they can deliver some of those uh, very complex pieces of work and whether they can even deliver it for the amount of capacity they have. And that's something that DNEG has been, uh, you know, very reliable and a strong partner to all the content creators. But they call us because they know that we've got the tools, the talent and the production capacity to actually deliver these what I call gigantic uh, you know, experiences on time, on budget, on spec. And that's not, that's easier said than done. So that's really how we've tried to build ourselves up over the last few years. And you've built those experiences over the past 27 years since laying out your shingle in the visual effects business. And I assume things have changed massively, obviously. How do you expect things to change over the next decade? What do you think will come out that we haven't seen yet? It seems like the visual effects are so good these days that you can't tell what's real and what's not. To be honest, some of that is we're already there. You know, we also got a nomination on James Bond and, you know, we had both the films in the running, the first James Bond movie to get an Academy Award nomination for visual effects in maybe 40, 50 years. It was led by DNAG as well this year. So, to me, I saw the I saw some of the visual effects in James Bond, and I was personally shocked by the quality. Like I had to see the I saw the film before I saw the work, and I went and asked my team, like, did we actually do that? Well, like, how did they shoot that? And it turned out that we actually 
had done the CGI on it, and it was completely better than what they could have shot. To be to be perfectly honest, so that's already kind of already there. I think where the real opportunity comes, and I feel that's the real you know pivot in our industry is that the metaverse is around the corner. And while we talk about the evolution of content for streamers and for movies, screens, and all of that stuff, while all that is happening, there's an equal the Web 3.0 revolution of saying social media is now going to be social engagement. How do you do that in a digital world where can we all of us, you know, while we do this over a you know digital, you know, visual visually connected uh, you know technology? Could we have done this in the metaverse where all of us technically could be in the same room, where our avatars could be having the same conversation, looking out of the window, and I can see, and what I what I can see, and where you are at, or what you can see where I'm at, could all be the same, and that could all be a function of how visual effects can be leveraged to create those experiences in the metaverse. Let's start to create that new reality, and that to me is a very, it's a much bigger business, it's a much bigger use case because now. You can just imagine everything that's happening in the physical world. If you're able to do that in the virtual world with a level of absolute believable reality, you know now we've just taken that to the next level up. And that I believe in the next five to ten years is a very key thing because the tech, underlying tech, the underlying hardware, software, speed of the internet is all sort of ramping up to be able to do that. And that's why I feel incredibly confident that that's uh, that's a pretty interesting. Uh, you know, sort of opportunity that's coming around the bend, and that's going to be, and the film business is going to look like a, a trailer or a or a, or, a, or a set of examples to what the metaverse can become. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate. Do you want to diversify your investment portfolio while benefiting the planet? The Accelerate Carbon Negative Bitcoin ETF symbol ABTC on the Toronto Stock Exchange provides investors with exposure to Bitcoin while protecting the environment. Accelerate implements a global tree planting campaign to sequester carbon emissions and help fight climate change. Up to 10% of ABTC's 69 basis point management fee will be allocated to Accelerate's annual tree planting campaign. For each $1,000 invested in ABTC, an estimated one net ton of carbon dioxide is expected to be sequestered each year. Buy Bitcoin, save the planet. Find out more at investabtc.com. That's really interesting with, when you talk about the metaverses. It's really a kind of combination of different elements of movie making, gaming, social media, all, all combining into one. Um, what, one question that I had was that I was reading that you've been using the Unreal Engine um, to create content for animation and live projects. So how exactly does the Unreal Engine differ from some of your technology and, and how can it be used in, in tandem for, for content creation? So the game engines basically are designed to create real-time interactivity because that's what you see in a game. The moment you've got these characters that you control or whatever it is that you're doing, the moment you, you know, play with those controls, it gives you real-time feedback. So the Unreal Engine acts as a very strong foundation or a base on which we can mount all our tools, all our bespoke technology tools, and start to use real-time technologies to create the same capabilities that we have in movies or in TV shows or in animation to be able to do that at a quicker pace. Because 
<clears throat> that's something that's also becoming critical as we look at the demand out there. We can't just service up the demand by adding headcount. We've got to use technology to act. While we can't compromise quality, we also need, you know, that being of a certain quality and scale. That being said, the gaming companies in general, if you see from a qualitative standpoint, don't necessarily measure up to the quality of work we produce, let's say, on the big screen. So this is a perfect culmination of our technology tools of a certain quality and a certain skill level that's now leveraging the real-time interactivity of game engine fuse together and create outcomes that are now not just now going to be used in movies and animation, but also potentially taking that now capability to the game engine or to the games and then applying that into the metaverse. So this new transformation is, is what I believe for us, uh, you know, so again, the new foundation on which we can now drive greater efficiency, but also open up new markets and new opportunities whether it's in gaming or the metaverse. Because now our tools and our high-end capabilities can now go across a wider, you know, opportunity. Maybe the biggest opportunity set in the next 10 years or the biggest change will be a metaverse that these virtual worlds that you can't tell from real life that they're, they're just so exceptional looking and functional uh, with respect to the technology, especially when you combine it with these gaming engines. Now, Namit, prior to letting you go today, and I thank you for giving us a great primer on the visual effects and movie business. I had a fun question for you. What's your favorite movie and why? Well, that's a great question. So my favorite movie of all time is Forrest Gump. Okay. <laughs> and uh, it sort of speaks to my, you know, growing up uh, in Bollywood. And then as I've sort of, as I grew up as a kid and saw a lot of Bollywood movies, saw a lot of Hollywood as well. And then it's sort of the culmination, what I call it, the perfect story, when it's the journey of this one character who basically experiences life across from when he's a little child all the way, you know, when he grows up and has his own child. And there's a certain beautiful arc of a story. And it has actually been able to weave that very beautiful story, a very, you know, that touches upon all kinds of human emotion, but delivered with such high quality uh, or such unbelievable visual and audio capabilities because if you, you go back and check it got the best visual effects Oscar as it did for the best uh, audio or the best uh, background score as well and that to me was like okay that's a it's a great way to summarize you know where you see that sort of excellence across all paradigms of storytelling really hitting together and that to me was a uh, and continues to be one of my favorite uh, films of all time well there you go Forrest Gump not necessarily the Dune or the James Bond that I was expecting, but uh, I love those movies too. Well, Namit, thank you for coming on the show today and your merger with Sports Adventures acquisition in the mix. Do you guys have a ticker symbol for the company once it is uh, the merger is done and it's up and trading? Sure. Well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to announce that soon enough. We're in the process of uh, getting all of that uh, validated with the stock exchanges and everything. Okay, well, we look forward to that and we wish you the best of luck in both the market and the big screen. I'm looking forward to some of the new releases that you guys are working sure. on, of which I'm sure there are many. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all. It's been a pleasure talking to you. All right. Bye, Namit. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com.
The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty expressed or implied is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.